Seven NBA games on Tuesday night. We recap them for you, and John Corrales is live in Portland to break down the Celtics' win. And Giannis and the Bucks hold off the Raptors, and we talk to Kane Pittman about the Bucks' 50th win of the year. This is Locked On NBA for Wednesday, February 26th. Let's go. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And welcome. You are locked on to the NBA. My name is Nick Angstead. I am the host of the Locked On Mavericks podcast. If you're listening to this right now, John Corrales is out in Portland. We will hear from him a little bit later. Like we said, he couldn't record tonight. And then Jake Madison is somewhere, I mean, probably nine beers deep in a Mardi Gras, taking his shirt off, trying to get some beads. I don't know what he's doing, but they're both unavailable. So I'm here tonight. We have Kane Pittman talking about the Bucks win from Locked On Bucks. We'll talk to him. We'll also talk to Troy Halliburton from Locked On Wizards about Bradley Beal's 250-point games in back-to-back nights. We'll talk about that, as well as what they expect from John Wall, potentially. So we'll get into all that. But of course, there are seven games in the NBA. You didn't watch them. We did, so we will break them down for you. couple of news notes before we get into that. Steph Curry is returning on Sunday. We got that confirmation on Tuesday, so that's pretty exciting. Steph Curry getting to return. This Warriors team could definitely use a little boost. They're a little hard to watch right now. Brandon Clark for the Memphis Grizzlies is out for two weeks with a quad injury, which really sucks for that team right now. They're hot in that playoff race, trying to hold on to that eighth spot. And they just lost Jaron Jackson Jr. for a couple weeks, so they're without both of their young big men. Ben Simmons has a nerve impingement in his lower back. He's sidelined for a period of time. We still don't really know, but he's going to be reevaluated in about two weeks, and the Sixers don't even really expect him to come back in two weeks. So we just really don't know how long that's going to be. And then the NBA announced that the finals are going to start on June 4th. So right now, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, February 26th, we're 99 days away from the NBA finals starting. So long road from now till then, but it's exciting. And it's pretty cool that we don't know who's going to be in the finals right now. It feels like this is the first year in a long time. We don't really know who are the two teams that are going to end up in the finals. So that's pretty exciting. Let's get into the too long, didn't watch uh, first game of the night. The Indiana Pacers won 119-89, to a 39-point win over the Hornets. Indiana took control in the second quarter. Uh, Warren and Sabonis had pretty good games in this one. Sabonis finished with 21 points, 15 boards, and 5 assists. This is Malik Monk's first start in the NBA, uh, which is kind of wild. It seems like he's been around for a while, but first start in the NBA, and... Uh, it was a tough one, 39-point loss for them. This is a good bounce-back win for the Pacers, though, after losing to the Raps by 46 on Sunday. So good win for the Pacers, terrible loss for the Hornets. Detroit versus Denver, the Denver Nuggets won 115-98. to Jeremy Grant had a career-high 29 points off the bench. Jokic and Murray each had 16 points. Imagine your two best players scoring 16 points each and winning a game. That's pretty awesome for the Nuggets. They got their 40th win of the year, uh, and it was a really good team overall win. For the Pistons, Christian Wood had 20 and 10. He's been playing pretty well for them over there in Detroit. Sacramento versus Golden State. The Kings win 112 to 94. De'Aaron Fox and Harrison Barnes each had 21 points. Buddy Heald had 19 points off the bench. The Kings get their third straight win after the All-Star break. And they're 9 and 4 in their last 13 games. So the Kings coming on strong. Not really sure if they have enough to make a playoff run at this point. But they are playing pretty well after the All-Star break. And, uh... Marquise Chris had 20 and 10 over with the Golden State Warriors. You also got about 24 minutes of Dragon Bender, so a lot of the former Suns getting minutes on the Warriors. Steph Curry cannot come back any faster for them. 
Oklahoma City versus the Chicago Bulls. OKC won 124 to 122. OKC controlled this game until pretty much the third quarter when Zach Levine went crazy. He had 19 points in the third. He finished with 41. And Kobe White, 35 points. This is his third game, I think in a row, or maybe his third game with 30 plus plus points. Uh, he finished with 35. Pretty good game for him. But Steven Adams had some clutch defense. He had two blocks in one play in a very clutch situation. And then SGA and Gallinari both had some clutch buckets. Uh, Gallinari also added 19 points in the first quarter. So uh, the OKC takes that one 124 to 122 to get uh, the win. And the big one that everybody was excited to see, Lakers versus the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, the Lakers win this one 118 to 109. It was a game of runs. They were basically going back and forth. Lakers controlled it, but the Pelicans would keep coming back. In the third quarter, they had a 25 to 8 run when LeBron exited the game. And that's the thing for the Lakers. And I feel like a lot of people are harping on this now. Zach Lowe talked about it. They talked about it on the broadcast even. But this Lakers team has to figure out something when LeBron sits. And I know in the playoffs, he's going to pl- probably play close to 40 minutes. But. Watching a lot of their games, they just don't really seem to have an offensive answer. And it's definitely not Rondo. It's not even like Caruso either. That's the thing. A lot of people say, well, play Caruso instead of Rondo. But when LeBron is out of the game, they need somebody that's going to step up and make some buckets. They kind of hoped it was going to be Kuzma, I feel like. They hoped that maybe they could run their offense around Anthony Davis when LeBron is out. But it just hasn't happened. Even in this game, you saw it. When LeBron sat, the Pelicans were able to come back. But LeBron, first 40-point game since December 2018, <laughs> since before he even hurt his groin back last season. Uh, that feels like forever ago. Uh, Ingram had 34 points. Zion had 29 points in this game. And LeBron and Zion did not guard each other for one possession. So all the hype about LeBron versus Zion and all that, that's just kind of how the regular season goes sometimes with these matchups. But it was an interesting one, a fun one as it goes. And then uh, Boston versus Portland. This was a game that John Corrales was at, like we said, in Portland. So let's hear from John Corrales live in Portland about this game that the Celtics took. Hey guys, John Corrales here from the Moda Center where the Boston Celtics beat the Portland Trailblazers 118-106. Story of this one, Jason Tatum, 36 points, 26 in the second half, a career high, eight made three-pointers, eight for 12 from three, just an electric shooting night. And this kid continues his march towards maybe maybe an all nba nod can he crack that third team all nba well after a night like this 14 of 22 shooting uh adding five rebounds to that mix 36 points just uh, just a crazy uh performance for jason tatum jalen brown by the way quietly had 24 points on a very good night himself The Blazers got 28 from C.J. McCollum, but that was an empty 28. The Celtics seemed to be in control of this one throughout, and they really took control when Jason Tatum went nuts in the second half, especially that third quarter, early fourth. Back to you guys on the Lockdown NBA podcast. Thank you, John Corrales. Uh, We did not forget Milwaukee versus Toronto. That was a big one. The top two teams in the Eastern Conference. Kane Pittman and I will talk about that one in just one second. But Milwaukee does win 108 to 97. Giannis with 19 points and 19 boards. He was held to just 19 points. It felt like Toronto was dominating in the first half, but they only had a two-point lead at halftime. uh, And Milwaukee ended up coming back with a huge third quarter, 34 to 19 in the third quarter. Milwaukee took that one. So coming up, let's hear from Kane Pittman, who covers the Bucks from the Locked On Bucks podcast. Let's hear from him about the Milwaukee Bucks and the matchup with the Toronto Raptors. And welcome in now from the Locked On Bucks podcast, the great Kane Pittman. Kane, how do you feel about that win tonight? 
Well, it, it felt like a, a strange game to watch. Uh, I was talking with Sean from Locked On Raptors uh, pregame. We did a bit of a crossover, and I said the thing I was looking forward to was actually watching a game where I could take something away from what what I saw. It just <laughs> hasn't been the case that much with the Bucks, but that to me, uh, certainly defensively, felt like a playoff game. That was that was a fun one. Defensively and Kyle Lowry. Like, there's a level of Kyle Lowry that feels like the playoffs. And we <laughs> yes. got it a little bit in that All Star game where he was taking the charges and doing things like that. But Kyle Lowry trying to go, you know, nutmeg with his whole body underneath George Hill, that is definitely <laughs> a playoff Kyle Lowry play. It was ridiculous. Uh, and, and, you know, it was funny. Just after that, he got called for the offensive foul for the sort of the stray elbow on Bledsoe as well. Yeah, Kyle Lowry was certainly up to, to his antics. But honestly, I mean, this was a game uh, where the Bucks, to me, they looked like a team that had played the Washington Wizards last night, uh, particularly defensively, because we know the Wizards are, are awful defensively, and, and they just scraped through in overtime last night in that game. So to then come up against this Raptors defense, which is just so unique, they throw different looks at you. They were throwing automatic double teams at Giannis, at Lopez, at DiVincenzo, anyone that had the ball. So to me, it took the Bucks. You know, a good 16, 17 minutes, they finished the first half on an 11-1 to run, which really brought them back into it. To that point, they looked completely disjointed, as disjointed as they've looked all season, to be honest. It was pretty amazing that it seemed like the Toronto was dominating the first half, and the Bucks yes. were only down by two at halftime. It was just a, a crazy score for how it felt if you watched the game, and that's kind of why you have to watch these games sometimes. You can't just... You know, look at the box score and think you know everything. You have to be able to, you know, see it. And that's why we watch these games and tell you guys about them. <laughs> but um, the domination from from the the uh, the Raptors, the Bucks are just able to uh, slowly but surely come back into all these games. Um, ben Thompson had a really great point on Twitter tonight. He said, this is how the Bucks have that point differential. They don't blow teams out on massive runs like the Warriors of old. They just get better shots, possession after possession, and drip, 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 drip. They're up by double digits. And that's how they kind of came back from you know the Raptors' early lead. They're just able to get good shots and just defend the ball really, really well. Yeah, there's no question. And this was one of the talking points coming in for mine. When I look at this Raptors team, uh, obviously a lot of the same faces that were there last year, but no Kawhi Leonard. So the question for me is, how is this team going to be able to score in the paint? How are they going to be able to get easy points? And I don't think that they they proved that they were able to because we saw early in the game they were hitting a bunch of threes. Uh, Boucher hit a couple of threes. Matt Thomas came in and hit a couple in a row. And that's how the Raptors sort of built that lead. But this is the way the Bucs play defense. They're not going to give you anything uh, in the restricted area. Toronto only finished with 22 points in the paint. So uh, while it took the Bucs a little while to figure things out offensively, and certainly they look like they settled into the game in the second half, the defense, this Bucks defense just tightens the screws. And the longer the game goes, it's like, okay, if you're not going to hit these threes, once you start to miss a couple of them and go a little bit cold as we saw Toronto do, uh, the Bucs are just, they're, they're just so difficult to stop. The Raptors are amazing with these like random role players they can pull out right. of nowhere. I mean, just the Chris Bruchets of the world. Matt Thomas was making big plays in this game. Ronda Hellas Jefferson, I mean, he his rookie option got declined by the, the Nets, I think, yeah. and all of a sudden he's making huge plays for them. Um, which storyline are you tired of hearing about? We're not going to talk about Giannis you know, in 2021, but which storyline are you tired of hearing about the most as somebody that covers the Bucks every day that you know is around the team? that is, you know, talks about them every single day. Which one are you tired of hearing about most? The fact that the Bucks give up a bunch of threes or Giannis can't shoot the three. Which one are you tired of hearing about the most? Yeah, it's probably more Giannis driven. I mean, I mean the fact that the Bucks give up a bunch of threes is is kind of by design. And every time we ask 
fight the question, he, he'll deny that and say, well, I don't really want to give up those three, so maybe I need to go back to the drawing board and look at what we're doing. But the reality is they are so steadfast in, in having that uh, rim protection that they won't waver from that. And they will take the, the gamble that teams aren't going to shoot the lights out from three. And from what we've seen, you virtually have to have a franchise record night shooting from the outside to beat this team so far this regular season anyway. So it's probably more around Giannis and not maybe maybe not so much the fact that he doesn't shoot the threes because uh, we've seen time and time again this season that uh, he's not always going to hit them, but he's always going to take them. And that confidence is not going to waver. And and, and that's really the key point. We see him, saw him hit uh, a relatively big corner three late in the fourth quarter tonight when the Raptors were maybe trying to make a last-ditch uh, comeback there. But for me, it's just him being able to finish. I, I think that that's completely overblown. I, I thought it was ridiculous, some of the commentary after the All-Star game. Uh, this is this is a guy that, that controls everything the Bucks do offensively. And you saw it tonight, 19 points, but the fact that he had the eight assists, uh, I think that he was the guy that was really driving the offense. He was the one that was uh, you know, creating the good looks for other guys. A couple of beautiful passes that, that resulted in easy buckets for this Bucks team. So it doesn't always have to be him driving and dunking on everyone because this was a different kind of night for him. But I still thought uh, between what he did defensively on, on Pascal Siakam and the way he was able to get others involved, I thought this was one of his better games for the season. Yeah, and the way that he just takes pressure off of all the other guys, the fact that yeah. you know the Raptors' defense, they really, you know, any side of the ball that Giannis was on, uh, they were just sending all the guys over yeah. there. They basically had three guys or four guys just hawking over him, you know, waiting for either Siakam or whoever was guarding him to get beat, and then they'd come over and help real quick. Like that takes a ton of pressure off of other guys because now your defender is basically looking at you half the time, and the other half of the time they're looking at Giannis. No, there's no question. And, and I think, again, the longer this game wore on, you saw other guys start to get open looks. Chris Middleton obviously had a bunch of big shots in the fourth quarter. He's a guy that has just been on a season-long tear. George Hill hit a, hit a couple of big threes. He's leading the league in three-point percentage. So right down the roster with this Bucks team, you've got a bunch of guys that are delivering in big moments. And and like I said from the top, there hasn't been too many games where you feel like it's a genuine big game for the Bucks. but tonight was, was obviously one of them. And I think that they need to test themselves against these better teams. And Toronto, are, I mean, they're a terrific team. And, and it, it is worth mentioning, obviously, they didn't have Marcus Gasol or Norman Powell. But uh, I think that this, this, these types of matchups where it doesn't go all the Bucks' way, uh, I think is good for them because, you know, as we get closer to the, to the playoffs, uh, you know, there is some school of thought that maybe the Bucks have, have just found everything too easy because they are so deep, they are so dominant. So nights like this, I think, are good for them. It's been easy so far in the regular season, but if you had to choose uh, which team, and this is the last question for you, which team are you most threatened by in the East in the playoffs? You know, which team do you look at and say, I don't know if the Bucks can, you know, win a seven-game series, or that's the team that I'm most concerned about in a seven-game series. Yeah, I'm not too sure if there's a team that I don't think that they can win a seven-game series against, particularly in the East, but but Toronto are, are, are terrific. And I think that what you know if you go into a series against that uh, Raptors team is that you're going to be in for a battle. And even though the Bucks end up winning this game by double digits, it was tough. And their defense is, is incredible, and that's what's going to win you games in the playoffs. So I think Toronto uh, are, are definitely a threat. And I think the other team that just continues to, to get better is Boston. I mean, they've they got... Uh, combined with the group of scoring wings that they've got, they pose a real threat because uh, on any given night, they've got three or four guys that can go off for 30 points. And in a playoff series where you only have to win four games, that that can be a scary proposition. So I think Toronto and Boston are ahead of the rest right now uh, in far, it, in terms of you know competing with the Bucks to try and get out of the East. 
uh, out west. I, I'm still sticking with the Ally teams. Especially with Ben Simmons dealing with whatever he's dealing right, with. So sure. that one definitely uh, makes it easier. Kane, thanks so much for joining us. Tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, you can get me on Twitter at Kane Pittman. And also you can uh, follow the podcast at Locked on Bucks. There you go. Kane, thanks so much for joining us. Anytime, man. Coming up, let's talk to Troy Halliburton from the Lockdown Wizards podcast about Bradley Beal, John Wall, and all kinds of stuff happening with the Washington Wizards. And welcome from the Lockdown Wizards podcast, Troy Halliburton. Troy, how are you doing, man? I'm doing all right, Nick, man. I'm glad to uh, be on the Lockdown NBA podcast to talk some Wizards hoops. Let's start first with Bradley Beal. He has 50 points in back-to-back nights. Like, not just back-to-back games, back-to-back nights. In like less than a 28-hour period, he had 108 points. What's going on with Bradley Beal right now? Well, honestly, I think that the uh, when, once Bradley Beal was snubbed from the All-Star game, I mean, he's taken his game up to a completely different level as far as uh, him being able to score the basketball. And I think that, you know, that this might have been the best thing to happen to he and the Wizards organization because it's kind of lit a fire underneath of him and I mean he's coming out he's playing some of the best basketball of his career Um, as you mentioned you know, with back-to-back uh, 50-point games, uh, 53 and then 55 uh, against the Milwaukee Bucks, those are out- besting his career high two nights in a row. I-, I'm- I can't help but be impressed. It's kind of amazing. Uh, it does kind of stink that they both came in losses. Um, I think he joins Wilt Chamberlain, uh, Devin Booker, and I think one other player that have, have had 50 points in back-to-back games that uh, were both losses. Um, what's the thought right now with Bradley Beal and you, I'm sure you've seen a lot of people on Twitter and all over the place saying free Brad Beal, like let's get Brad Beal out of there. You know, he has no help seeing the frustration with Brad Beal. I think I even saw him say, you know, I'm a winner and I don't want, you know, I don't throw those 50 points out with the other 50 points because, you know, we didn't get the win. Yeah, well, the whole free Brad Bill movement, I think that that's much to do about nothing because, I mean, Brad already signed an extension to to stay in Washington for a couple more years. So, you know, that that talk is, is completely baseless. But I do think that um, there is something to be said about, you know, what Brad says about him being a winner because it, it's funny that you mentioned uh, – uh, that the only other two players in NBA history to score 50 points in back-to-back games and lose were Will Chamberlain and Devin Booker. And so I actually have been uh, a proponent of a lot of Bradley Bill's high scoring this year is of the Devin Booker variety. And, and you know, and what I mean by that is, you know, the Wizards, they play with this very extremely fast pace. And so the not, not to say that his scoring numbers have been inflated, but you know he, he he's he's scoring a lot of these points in uh, in games where you know the Wizards get down twenty five points and then you know he kind of goes off for a little bit and and the the points really don't mean as much every game uh, as it did last night. So the last night's game against the Milwaukee Bucks. I thought that, you know, Brad played one of his best games of the season because he scored um, in the clutch. He scored when it mattered the most. And not only he he, he didn't play a uh, hero ball. You know, I think that a lot of people uh, have been accusing Brad of playing a brand of basketball that is really not conducive to winning. And so I think that he's been, you know, taking a, a, a self-reflection and looking at himself in the mirror 
and realizing that, you know, he has to get his teammates involved. And so when you look at the last play of last night's game, uh, how when Brad made that pass to Rui Hashimura, that was the correct basketball play. And yes, Rui got his shot blocked at the rim and that uh, forced the game to go into overtime. But but Brad, I mean, he, he very well could have taken a hero ball shot, fadeaway three-pointer, but he made the correct basketball play and it just didn't work out for him so I think that this is just a, a learning experience for him going through his first year really being the man of the franchise he's really become a really good playmaker that's one thing I've been really impressed by with, with Brad Beal is that he's just become he used to just be you know the the second option the you know the secondary scorer and now he's just really become a playmaker when John Wall eventually comes back um, and I guess eventually. I mean, I think he has to come back at some point, right? Uh, as long as the check's still clear, dude. It what? How is that relationship going to look when they come when when John Wall comes back with Brad Beal now becoming this awesome playmaker? Does that work in tandem, or does maybe John Wall have to you know relinquish a little bit of the you know number one optionness if you want to put it that way to Brad Beal? I think that he has. To relinquish a little bit of the number one optionist, but I do think that uh, Brad probably will be very happy to have John Wall being back out on the court because it'll make life a lot easier for him. See, one of the things that that, uh, you know, made John a five-time All-Star was his ability to get his teammates open three-point shots. And so when you look at Bradley Bill shooting, uh, you know, 31% from three-point range this year, it's because a lot of his shots are coming in the off-the-dribble variety. And whereas, you know, when John comes back, he'll be able to, you know, he'll be he'll always be able to get his shot because, as you said, he's worked on his handle and he's worked on, uh, you know, his playmaking skills, you know, uh, to, to, to reach a certain level. But I think... The- that it'll be good to have his usage rate come down just a little bit and to have John take uh, some of those playmaking responsibilities off of him so that Brad can focus a lot more on, on scoring the basketball and being the finisher that he's grown into so far. What do fans think of John Wall right now? Like, is he kind of their knight in shining armor? Like, when he comes back, everything will go back, go back to normal? Or are fans kind of just upset with how the, you know, the injuries have gone on for so long and are they just kind of over it at this point? Well, I think it's a it's really a, a mixed bag when it comes to uh, Wizards Twitter and their relationship with John Wall. I think that there is a very strong contingent of Wizards fans who are very much um, looking forward to John coming back and, and believe that he can get back to the player that he once was. But I do believe that there is a group of uh, Wizards fans who ha- have grown to, you know, uh, be disappointed in Wall and the way that he has played uh, when over the last you know two seasons when, when he wasn't hurt, but because his playing style did change a little bit, you know. Whereas like he came into the league and he was more of that you know Chris Paul variety of point guard, the you know floor general getting everybody involved. Whereas you know in 2018 and 2019 he probably looked more like uh, the he tried to play like the the Kyrie Irving Damian Lillard type of point guard, and really I think that this time out has been the best for John because I think that he realizes that that's not his uh, best style of play and that he'll come back and he'll be ready to play a brand of basketball that will be more conducive uh, to the Wizards being able to win. And so with, with he and Brad you know, being such a dynamic backcourt. Like, I feel like, you know, it was just a couple of years ago that, you know, the Wizards were taking the Celtics to the brink of game seven and almost going to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I feel like a lot of people, you know, really act like those moments never happen. So <laughs> it, 
it's kind of it, it'll be very interesting to see uh, what 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 style of play Wall would adhere to when he comes back. Troy, we're running out of time here. Thanks so much for joining us on Locked On NBA. Tell everybody where they can find you. Well, they can find me on my social media at Troy Halliburton. Uh, that's H A L I B U R and. Obviously on uh, at Locked On Wizards, and you know, go subscribe to the Locked On Wizards podcast. Uh, we, we, I am the uh, lone host of that show, but we do a, a nice roundtable of, of Washington local media members and national media members too when they come to visit in town. And you know, we we just we just try to uh, keep the 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 hashtag So Wizards movement going. <laughs> there you go, Troy. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, thank, thank you, Nick. There you go. Some good stuff there from Troy, from Kane, from John Corrales, and everybody. Thanks so much for listening to Locked On NBA. If you're not already, follow me on Twitter at Nick Van Exit. You can follow the Locked On Mavericks podcast as we talk about Luka Doncic and Kristaps Sporzingis and all kinds of good stuff happening over there. Isaac Harris and I host the podcast every single day, so go listen to us talk about the Dallas Mavericks and all the good stuff happening. Also, you can follow us, the network, on Twitter at LockedOnNBANet. Some good stuff over there. Live tweeting games. Also on Instagram at LockedOnNBANet. Some good stuff there. Follow all the stuff that we have going on around the NBA with a podcast for every single team. There's so much going on, so go follow those accounts there so you can find out what's happening with all the teams. Guys, thanks so much for listening to NBA. Peace out. Boom. Boom.